I've had the pleasure of meeting you yet. My name is Neil Davidson, and I'm one of the pastors here at Hope Chapel, and it's great to welcome you to our services today. And um, we've come to the time in our service where we focus in on the Word of God. We believe that God has shared His truth with us in the Word of God, and we believe Jesus' promise that if we know the truth, the truth will set us free. So we always spend a considerable amount of time in our services looking at the Word of God, seeking to understand the Word of God, to know the truth so the truth can set us free. And today we're entering into a new series that we're going to be journeying through for the next four weeks together, and we're going to be talking about the, the issue of forgiveness. You know, um, I think this is going to be a challenging series for us. I know it was challenging for me to prepare the series, and, and a lot of it is because in some ways, we, we really don't want to be confronted with the fact that we struggle to forgive. You know, sometimes it's when we pause and we think about the issues of forgiveness, we, we recognize some things that maybe we, we thought we had forgiven, but we really haven't, and it continues to hold on. I, I had one of those experiences, you know, many of you know that my parents died within 11 months of one another, and when we were, after my father died, who was the second, we the funeral was a few weeks removed from his death, and we were having to make some decisions about some things, and, you know, a lot of grief, a lot of emotion, intensity kind of going around. Everything didn't go smoothly, and I, in particular, ended up having a conflict with one of my siblings, and when I was there a few months, and I really thought I had dealt with it, let it go, and, and et cetera, and I, in fact, I'd been off to Rwanda on mission trip and a bunch of stuff afterwards, and, and when I went down there to, to, to close out the house and to, and to sell it and move everything out, and there were a couple of reminders that triggered it, and, 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 and I sent an email to my sibling right away and with the stuff, and, and, and I was so amazed at just how quickly all those same emotions and anger, et cetera, just came all back. And, and the worst thing to do is be in that moment and then have it be your sibling who points out to you that you really haven't dealt with it yet and forgiven and moved on, right? Just makes it worse, right? But, but and, and, and many of us are going to have those experiences, and and, and had those. Some of you have experienced tremendous pain from other people. You know, you've been assaulted, you've been abused, you've been, you know, betrayed, you've had people who have cheated you and et cetera, and those have been life-altering kinds of experiences for you. And, 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 and those are very painful things, and you think you, you've dealt with it, but in other ways they're still just there and et cetera. And, and what an incredible need for us to experience the power of forgiveness. But the other thing that really confronted me is with this, is is just the capacity that we have to hurt one another without even trying. You know, I remember going home after a service one Sunday, and Christina and I almost always come in separate cars. She gets here earlier than I do. I go home later than she does and those kinds of things. And I remember walking through the door, and she was trying to make lunch, and it, and it was all she could do to hold back tears. And I said, well, what's the matter? I mean, I had no idea, and, and apparently I had shared a story in my message that morning, and, and I didn't think anything about it, it a story that came out of her background, and, and she just felt totally humiliated and embarrassed, and I was like totally oblivious. 
You know, and here she is at home just holding back the tears. She said, you, you so embarrassed. It just hurt so much. And, and you know, and then I remember, you know, going up the crosswalk one time. And I don't know if they still do this at the youth camp, but they used to do like a pastor's kids luncheon. And I got up there on a Wednesday afternoon when one of my kids came to me and said, guess what, Dad? He said, we won. You, you, you more than any other pastor in New England has embarrassed us worse than any other. You know, and I'm thinking... What did I do, <laughs> you know, and, and that kind of thing. And, and, and we have this incredible ability to, to, to hurt other people and to do so in some ways unintentionally, you know, and, and, and we carry all this baggage that goes with this whole thing. And, and, and one of the realities is that without forgiveness, every single relationship we have is going to be scarred. Every single relationship that we have is going to be scarred. I don't care how perfect your marriage is. I don't care how perfect a parent you are. I don't care how great of an employee or great employer you are. Somewhere along the line, every single person in your journey is going to disappoint you in one way or another. They're going to bring hurt into your life, or you're going to bring hurt into theirs, and it's going to require forgiveness. Without forgiveness, none of that hurt goes away, and it just keeps building and building and build it. And we, we see this in the scripture over and over again. Just, just read the book of Genesis. Jacob and Esau, you know, Jacob stole his birthright and blessing and et cetera. And you, Joseph and his brothers, his brothers sell him off into slavery and et cetera. They're, they're, you know, you get over in the book of Exodus. You know, Moses is up in the mountain and Aaron, his brother, is cooperating with the people to build a golden calf. There, there's a lot of baggage that comes, right? And, and, and we, if without forgiveness, Every single meaningful relationship in our lives is going to be scarred. And, and we need to learn to experience the power of forgiveness. And without forgiveness, we're, changed to our, we're chained to our past. You know, it's, it's without the ability to forgive, you and I live with a victim mentality. This is what others have done to me, and until something happens to them, I really can't be set free and we're Changed, chained to our past. We, we can't move on from our past because it continues to cling on to us and we carry this weight. And this is why we've used the imagery of, of putting the key in the door and being able to open the door to a new future because the power of forgiveness to be able to release others and to release the pain, to release what other people, to release the losses that we've had, the, those, and, and to be able to embrace the grace and the new life that God's given us in Christ and, and to move forward. And, and without forgiveness, we, we are trapped in our past. We're trying to somehow always heal it and fix it and undo it, and, and, or we're looking for other people to be punished for what they've done. And we're just, we're held on to by our past. And and the emotional and physical and spiritual consequences are off the chart, right? I mean, the, 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 the amount of stress that it's creating in people, the loss of sleep, the sense of rage. I mean, so much so that now, you know, the Mayo Clinic actually has a class that they lead people through trying to guide them on how to forgive because not forgiving is killing them and killing their health. You know... When we have a, a, an era where 
just below the surface, we're ready to explode because somebody's driving three miles an hour too slow in front of us, you know, and we're, we're ready to flash our lights, honk our horns, flip them, you know, whatever, and then, you know, and in some cases, they force guys off the road, and they drag them out of their cars and beat them, you know, we've, we've had those stories in our papers. I mean, the, the, the level of rage, it's, it's just huge, and, and we need to discover the power of forgiveness in order to be able to really embrace the life that God has for us. And, and here's the truth that we need to see, because this power of forgiveness needs to be rooted in the experience of God's forgiveness. If our power to forgive, to forgive ourselves, to forgive others, to forgive our circumstances and our world, if our power to forgive isn't rooted in our experience of God's forgiveness, then we really don't have the power to forgive. Now, we may have learned some skill sets to be able to manage stuff and push it over so that our anger doesn't control us, but it's really just kind of like a shuffling pattern, and we're trying to move it out. To be able to actually confront it, deal with it, forgive it, let it go, and it's no longer a part of us, that comes from our experience of the forgiveness of God. And that's why our ability to forgive others is deeply connected to our experience of God's forgiveness. Father, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Those two experiences are deeply connected. And and here's what I want to do today. I want us to talk about the experience of God's forgiveness. What God has done for us in Jesus Christ, it, 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 in many ways, it's the fundamentals of the gospels, but the gospel message about how Jesus has, has been able to forgive us of our sins and transforms us into new natures. But I want to look at it through the lens of the book of Hebrews for this purpose, because there's lots of different ways for us to be talking about salvation, et cetera, but, but specifically in the book of, of Hebrews, it's presented to us, I mean, as is our ability to stand before God with an absolutely clear and clean conscience. That you and I can stand nose to nose with God and we don't have the least bit of a sense of inadequacy or sense of guilt. We're so radically transformed that we, are, we can literally live in the scope of the power of God. And in the midst of that experience, which is so overwhelming... God gives us the power to forgive others and embrace the future that he's always had for us. But here's the thing for me. There's so many people today who, who, who hear about all this stuff, and they hear about the gospel and Jesus on the cross and resurrection, and we come for a Christmas Eve service and et cetera, but they have no really, they don't have any real deep appreciation for the way that God has actually worked in human history, provided a means that you and I can actually, not just theoretically, not just some nice language, but actually be changed as people. So I want to talk about those things today. And it's interesting that in the book of Hebrews, he puts it as the quest for the clean conscience, This, this ability to be able to wipe out what has been so that we can step into what God has for us in the future. And 
You know, the Bible uses a lot of different imageries for salvation. There's the ransom mission, like we're hostage, and Jesus gives his life as a ransom for many. Or, you know, we're, we're you know, that, that we are enslaved, we're in prison, and Jesus delivers us. And, 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 and there's a judicial kind of sense where we are justified, declared innocent. And it uses all these different imageries to speak about how God has changed the world through Jesus Christ. But in the book of Hebrews, he specifically uses this imagery of the clean conscience, this ability to be able to relate to God without any sense of inadequacy, any sense of guilt in in this connection. And so it's going to be a bit of heavy sledding, but can you make me a promise? You'll hang with me for just a little bit. We'll, We'll get there. You know, so if you take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 8 with me, And if you're using one of our pew Bibles, you're going to find our text on page 1019, 1019. When we start off with chapter 8, verses 10 through 12, what we're going to see is that God has promised through the prophet, a new way of relating to us. He wants to have a relationship with us that actually grants us the ability to forgive because we have been totally forgiven. And this is how he puts these words in in, in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 10 through 12. He says, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. In other words, the people of God. Today, we would say today's church and believers. This is the covenant. This is the relationship, the contract, the commitment that I'm making to the house of Israel. He says, I'll put my laws in their minds. I'll write them on their hearts and I'll be their God. And each person will not teach his fellow citizen and each his brother saying, know the Lord. But my righteousness, sorry, I turned too many pages because they will all know me from the least to the greatest of them. For he says, for I will be merciful to their wrongdoing. I will never again remember their sins. And so by saying a new covenant, he has declared that the first is old. In other words, it's, and what is old is, is aging, and an aging is about to disappear. Something new's coming. Now in chapters 9 and 10, we're going to look at that new thing that God does, the way that he actually creates the foundation for this new contract, this new covenant, this new way of relating to us. But let me point out a couple of things that come to us about this. This new covenant that God wants to create is is a covenant in which, a, a relationship with us in which we will be absolutely and totally forgiven. Our sin is forgiven and it's forgotten. Look at, look at the final verse 12. For I'm going to be merciful to their wrongdoings, and I will never again remember their sins. This relationship is going to put us in a position where our entire past, in terms of our relationship with God, is totally irrelevant. Irrelevant. Now, it may have other impacts in terms of the way we work out our faith and relate to other people, but in terms of our relationship, it totally, because God is going to forgive everything, he's never going to remember it ever again. So in this new relationship, you and I are going to be forgiven. Every single one of us is going to have the ability 
to be able to walk and to live for God. God's going to write his law on our, in our minds and in our hearts. He's going to place within us the ability to be able to walk with him, to live for him, to be with him, to know him. And every single one of us is going to have equal competency at that. Not the least and the greatest, but everybody's going to know. We're all going to have the equal ability to live in a personal, intimate connection with God. We're going to know how to do faith, if you will. The last reality is this, is that we're going to get to have an intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father. We're, we're, going, to, we're going to get to have... Look at the terminology. He says, they're all going to know me. A little earlier at the end of chapter, verse 10, he says, he says I'm going to be their God, and they're going to be my people. There's going to be this intimate connection, you know? And, 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 and th- this is what God is promising us. This is the promise that God has fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And he goes on in chapters 9 and 10 here to describe how that's actually come to place. And here's why I'm taking the time. Because so many of us, even though we've been hanging around the church, we've been studying the Bible, it, it, it just, this kind of all sounds like it's a good story out there and it's really true and I hope it, but what if? And, and, and the book of Hebrews specifically is trying to say, no, this is exactly how God did it. It's based in reality. It's based in the actions of God. There are spiritual and, and, and foundations, theological foundations out of this. It's not just some pipe dream that we hope for. It is actually what God has done, and it doesn't never need to be done again. And so he picks up and he uses the imagery of the worship that went on in the temple and before the temple in the tabernacle. So again, other settings, they describe salvation against, you know, a judicial setting, being declared innocent, being justified, and being set free. And here the imagery he wants to use is that of the worship of the people. And he describes at the beginning of chapter 9 just some of the layout of the temple. I'm not going to go into that, right? But let's pick up with verse 6 of chapter 9. Again, bear with me. I'm trying to get us to a place where we actually can see how it is that God has stepped into human history so that you and I can experience his forgiveness and have the power to forgive. And so this is what he says in verse 6. These things, having been set up this way, and that's a reference to the temple and its layout and the altars and the Holy of Holies and all the items that are in there. It says, the priests enter the first room repeatedly performing their ministry. Every single day, they show up and they offer offerings on the altar. But the high priest alone enters the second room, that's the Holy of Holies, and that only once a year, and never without blood, when he offers, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was making it clear. In other words, now the author's looking back and said, that very way of doing worship communicated a message to us. It says, this is what God was saying to us, is that, that it's clear that the way into the Holies of Holies had not yet been disclosed while the first tabernacle was still standing. This is a symbol for the present time during which gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the worshiper's conscience, right? They are physical regulations and only deal with food, drink, and various washings imposed until the time of restoration. So all this, what's the point? He's saying, under the old covenant, God was intentionally showing us 
that offering up the blood of goats and cows and being able to go into the, the Holy of Holies once a year, it was intentionally showing us that those things only provided a temporary solution. They had to be repeated over and over again. Every day or every year, it was only temporary and it was incomplete. Because when the worshiper got done, they still had this guilty conscience. They, st- they still struggled. They, they, they knew that the penalty for their sins had been taken care of for now, but they knew the issue of their sinfulness still lay there. And, and with that, they still had this barrier between them and God and the veil in front of the holy holies and said, yep, there is. Yep, there is. Now, the author of Hebrews doesn't stop there. He says, God has instituted this new promise this new way where we get to experience total forgiveness, get to walk with him, know how to walk with him and have this intimate relationship, this is how he did it. He picks up with verse 11. Now the Messiah has appeared. High priest, that's Jesus, right? High priest of the good things that have come in the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. He entered the holy of holies once for all, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who are defiled sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of the Messiah, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our consciences, see that? Cleanse our consciences from dead works to serve the living God. There he goes, therefore he's a mediator of a new covenant. So this is what the guy would tell the, the author of Hebrews is telling us. The old way of worship intentionally communicated to us that there's still a problem between us and God. Deals with the penalty of our sins. It doesn't deal with our sinfulness. There's still a barrier in our relationship to God, but God's done something new. It was done in a better temple, and it was a better offering because it wasn't the blood of goats and calves, but it was the blood of of the very Son of Jesus. Now, all this blood talk, and there's lots of stuff, whatever, that, but the primary idea is that the, 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 the spilling of blood made it permanent. You know, when, when my dad drew his last breath, his will can never be changed. Right? He left the last will, and up to the moment that he died, he could change his will. As soon as he died, it was permanent. Death brought permanency to it. There was no change in it. So the death of the Son means there's no change in it. And his death, this better sacrifice in a better place, had a permanent impact. It's once for all, the Scripture tells us. And it produced a complete change. That's a complete, we, we, we receive a brand new conscience that we, we are, our bodies are washed clean and we move from dead works to what? To serving the living God. We become alive before God. And what he's saying to us is that you and I, as we, as we experience and believe and place our faith in what Christ has done on the cross, here the, often in the imagery of the temple sacrifice, He said, when we embrace it into our lives, you and I enter into a whole new way of relating to God. We become new people before God. We become a people who have been absolutely, totally, completely forgiven forever. There's nothing you can do to change that. Once you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ and he has redeemed you, you are totally forgiven. Once for all, our 
consciousness, and you and I then can stand before God without any barriers. And there's a biblical foundation for that. You see that in chapter 10. Just one last passage. In Hebrews chapter 10, he talks about the, 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 the outflow that comes from that. All of our sinfulness, if you will, is washed away, and we receive this clear conscience. And here's the impact. He says that, therefore, brothers, since we have boldness, because now we have this clear conscience, we've been totally forgiven, we, we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus Christ, that you and I don't have to have any hesitancy about entering into the Holy of Holies. It's not just one day a year by one person. It's every single one of us, every single moment of every single day of our spiritual journey. We get to enter in. We get to be with God. And we do this through the new and living way that he's inaugurated, that Jesus created through us, for us, through his death on the cross. And then he invites us. It says, therefore, let us draw near with a true heart. That's what God's given us. In full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. In other words, we should be in a place where we know and recognize and experience that we can live and are living in the presence of God. So here's what I want to pull us back to. The ability to be able to forgive is rooted in our experience of God's forgiveness. If we're struggling to forgive, it's probably because we're struggling to experience God's forgiveness. Now, I've just showed you from the Scriptures that this isn't just some, that this, these are specific, clear messages that God's been trying to proclaim to us from the day he created the tabernacle to the day that Christ died and on. God is specifically teaching us, I have forgiven you. And as we experience God's forgiveness, we know how to walk with God. We walk with the merciful one, with the one who knows how to forget what has been done, and we develop the ability to be able to forgive. So here's my message to you today. today. If, if you're struggling with being able to forgive, where we really need to look is, how, where's your experience of God's forgiveness in your life? Have you really been forgiven? And have you accepted that forgiveness as the reality of your journey with God? See, you know, when, when I ask, well, what now? What, what, what steps should I take now? The very first thing you need to do is believe. You need to place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who offered up a better sacrifice in a better temple to provide free and unrestricted access to the King of kings and the Lord of lords into God's very presence, the Holy of Holies. And that's why the book of Romans tells us if we confess with our mouths Jesus is Lord and we believe in, in our hearts that God really raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And, and, and my invitation to you today is to be forgiven by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. And if you've never made that decision today, that, that's, it's my personal privilege to be able to invite you to experience God's forgiveness through the sacrifice that Christ has made for us. You know, we've got a tear-off part of our bulletins there, a, a tear-off flap, and many folks will share their prayer needs with us today through that. But we always include a place in there for you to say, you know what, I want to turn from my sin 
and I want to follow Christ in faith. And if you're making that decision today, that's, that's tremendous, and <laughs> congratulations. The experience that you're going to, the experience of forgiveness, I'd love to get a chance to connect with you. I always hang out in the lobby, right, kind of like around the middle part, which we call our connection alcove, and I'd love for you to swing by. You could actually hand me just this tear off directly into my hands. We have some Bible, uh, a Bible that we'd love to give you to kind of help you get started and with some of your journey, but, but in order for you and I to experience the forgiveness of God, we have to believe in the Christ who died for us. And that's my invitation to you today. Now, I'm also aware from my own personal experience and from some of my connections with you and just not being flat out as dumb as I look, that, that there are many of us who believe, have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, but we still struggle with feeling forgiven. And here's what I want to say to you. It has nothing to do with your feelings. It has to do with what God has done. So what I want to tell you this morning is believe in what God has told you is true. You've placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. And with that, God has totally removed all of you. He's never going to think of it ever again, and he has sprinkled your mind clear so that you, have an absolute, you can have an absolutely clear conscience before standing to God. Believe in what God has done. Don't believe in your emotions. Now, I think God uses our emotions to show us how we need to grow as his children, but that has nothing to do with the fact that God is holding our sin against us. We are absolutely innocent in the eyes of God because of what Jesus Christ has done. Believe in what God has done. Don't trust your emotions. Believe. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah who died on the cross for you, offered up a sacrifice so that you can be forgiven. And believe that it's true. Don't believe in your emotions. Believe that it's true. Let's pray together for just a moment. God, I would suspect today that all of us believe that our lives will be better if we can forgive. We can forgive our kids for the ways that they've let us down or didn't remember an anniversary or a birthday or something or other or the way that they've cheated us or we know that we're going to be, our marriages are going to be better if we can truly forgive what our spouses may or may not have done or Forgive a parent for the way that they didn't really be the parent they were supposed to be. God, the list just can go on and on. We, we recognize that our lives are going to be get better if we can truly forgive. God, I'm grateful that you've made it possible for us to experience forgiveness from you so that we can be forgiving toward others. God, in these moments... I pray for each and every single one of us to experience your forgiveness for the first time by placing their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, committing to turning away from sin and to following you in faith. Or God, making the decision now to say, I'm going to stop listening to my feelings and I'm going to believe what God has told me is true because of my faith in Jesus Christ. 
God, we believe today. Help our unbelief. And I pray this in the name of Jesus who died for us. He makes it possible for us to have a clean conscience before God. Amen. Amen.